This is The Mitch Gray Show, where we are bringing the art of humanity back to leadership. Subscribe to The Mitch Gray Show wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Mitch Gray Media, where you'll find each of our episodes and other resources that will equip, inspire, and empower you to lead well. And now, The Mitch Gray Show. What is up, brothers and sisters? Welcome to The Mitch Gray Show. Another great episode planned for you today. Ooh, I've been waiting on this one for a while and you're going to you're going to realize why in about 20 minutes. So hope you're doing well. I have uh, a man that has become uh, I'm going to say a dear friend and wife over the last 6 or 8 months and I think we've got a lot of good stuff coming in the future that I don't know about yet but I think will be revealed to us sooner rather than later. So uh, dear my dear friend Eddie White is here today. We're going to talk about the keys to developing leaders is what I'm going to title this episode. So Eddie Welcome to the show, brother. Good to see you. Hey, good to see you too, Mitch. Great uh, to be on. And, you know, as you know, I love spending time with you and talking about yeah. leadership and culture and empowerment. So I'm excited uh, to what we're going to get into over the next uh, several minutes. Yeah, this is going to be uh, this is going to be fun. You and I always have a lot of fun and we've never met like the majority of my guests. We've never met in in person. What I say, real life. We've only met virtually, but and you know what's crazy is when you can meet someone virtually and make a connection, I just can't wait to meet all of these people in person because it's just going to be magnetic, man. And you're you're one of those people, brother. It's going to be good. So uh, for the listeners, make sure you subscribe to the show anywhere you're, you listen to podcasts. Make sure you share our show with others and leave us a rating and a review. Wherever you listen to this podcast, Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever, leave us a review that helps us with our ratings. And we want to spread the word as much as possible. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Mitch Gray Media, and uh, you can find all kinds of good stuff there as well. I'm your host, Mitch Gray, author of How to Hire and Keep Great People, Leadership and Personal Development Coach, and Inspirational Speaker. And as far as Eddie goes, Eddie is an author as well, speaker and educator who provides adult educational services in the areas of leadership financial literacy and legacy. And Eddie has over 28 years of military experience, has a master's in adult education, as is a certified parent instructor. And Eddie's going to get into his experience. And I know he's going to have some stories for us as he always does. So it's going to be good. So let's go to the big question, Eddie, enough about all the bios and stuff. People know who you are now. We're talking about the keys to developing leaders. And you and I have had I don't know, five or six conversations at this point. We've been a part of a, a, a virtual summit together. Um, that was a few months ago that I think people can still find on LinkedIn or somewhere with uh, Dr. Keith McNally. So when we talk leadership, um, you know, one thing that you and I have have kind of always connected on from the first time we started talking was oftentimes the lack in developing leaders and people get put into positions of leadership um, by promotion or by tenure or by rank in, in your background. There's a variety of reasons, but oftentimes those people are promoted into positions and, and they often earned it, but they still don't know how to develop other people. And for me, one of the greatest keys and foundational pillars of leadership is to be able to, be able to develop other people into their fullness. And so the big question I have to really kick off this conversation is, why I'm going to give you twofold here. Why is it so critical for a leader to be able to develop others? 
Why is it so critical? And the second part of that question is, why do you think we're missing it? <laughs> and when I say we, I'm using that in generality. Why do you think so many organizations, industry-wide, are missing the piece when it comes to really having systems, a culture, and a thought process of strategically developing others? So why is it so critical to develop others as a leader? And then why are we missing it? Let's start there. Yeah, thanks, Mitch. And that's a that's a pretty good lead-in question, I must say. So the first one, the criticality. You know, whenever we talk leadership, to me, there's single echelon and multi-echelon. And if you're in an organization that grows, you're going to eventually move into what I consider a multi-echelon leader. So single echelon means that you're leading and you got people who are direct responding to you. And, you know, it's the first line leader, it's the whatever you want to term it. And so in that instance, you're just figuring out how to effectively communicate and get those who are immediately responsible to you to respond. And that is a challenge in and of itself. But if you do that well, then naturally you're going to get, like you say, promoted. You're going to get elevated. And once you get elevated, then you quickly move to where you're now leading other leaders. And then those first line leaders, because you would be in that in this scenario, a second line leader, those first line leaders are doing the direct interaction with those on the floor or, you know, the, the lowest level of your organization. Well, once you move to that second line leader, you now have responsibility of not only the first line as a output perspective, you also have the responsibility of those who are working for you. Right. And you're going to have expectations that they're going to perform. You're going to have expectations that they're going to be doing things that you did or would imagine they should do when you were a first line leader. Right. But the reality is, and I had a Years ago, I had a guy who came in and did a leadership class, and this is something we all deal with. You'll, you'll relate to this, I'm sure, is that when you're in a leadership position, you have people that work for you or you have leaders that work for you. If you rate yourself on a scale of one to 10 as, let's say, a 10, right? Let's mm -hmm. assume you, you think you're great and you're going to rate yourself as a 10. The reality is anybody below you most likely are not going to be a 10. You know, they may be a four, they may be a six, but they're not going to be a 10. And so now you're in a position to say, okay, how do I compensate for those who aren't tens? Because they're going to give me products and they're going to do things that are going to reflect me. If they're a four, the best they can maybe get to is a six or a seven, but that's not a 10. And if they're a six, the best they can get to is maybe an eight. That's not a 10. So you're always in this space of how do you, how do you mitigate? How do you still get the results that you expect and demand? Well, now you get into the criticality of developing leaders. Because you have got to invest in those who are representing you so that they understand how to reflect the same values and priorities that you have tailored against their personality, their backstory, and their strengths and weaknesses. Well, if you don't do anything and you passively allow that to flow, then you don't know what you're going to get. You're going to get frustrated. They're going to get frustrated based off their expectations, not matching your expectations, and ultimately, the, the employee at the base level is going to be confused or not generating what you want. And so you just have this ripple effect. So the criticality of developing leaders is so that the organization at large, right. underneath you or in conjunction with what you aspire, function in harmony, have consistency, create the culture, which I know you're very, very keen on, that, that goes every level. 
And the higher you go, the more levels you have below, which increases the reliance to develop leaders. So that's my first part as far as why it's critical to develop leaders and not just have them show up and then scrutinize them based off what they don't do um, without you communicating that. And then the second part, why are we missing it? Well, this one, this we, like you said, is a little bit more tricky, <laughs> right? Um, I think it goes into a presumption of presence means capability. And that's a scary presumption, right? Just because I give you a title or I put you in a position, then I assume that you are equipped to do what that position entails. Well, if you have that in the back of your mind or you have that as a underlying, underlying principle of people in positions, right? It's like when you call somebody on the phone, you assume that person knows what they're doing because you know, that's their title and they answered the phone. But as you know, you know, I just got the phone with a telemarketer or somebody trying to work on an issue I have with my house. And I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> right. You don't know what you're doing. I understand what your title is, but you don't right. know what you're doing. Well, if you don't understand that from a position of leadership and you're the person putting people in leadership positions, then you're going to miss it. And you're going to scramble to figure out how to fix it. But your fix is not to sometimes develop the leader and develop your leaders. It's to get other people with the same presumption of capability because you put them in there. And now you just get on this do loop of perpetually missing it and hoping that one of those leaders you get in that position right. actually has the attributes you want. The presumption that presence means capability. That man, that, that, I mean, that's the target, right? That that's exactly what's happening. And really to, to, dig even deeper into that statement, the presumption that presence means capability. That is a reflective syndrome. In other words, that doesn't, that doesn't just happen by nature. It doesn't just evolve into that. That has to be an intentional attitude to presume that presence equates to capability. And, and what I mean by that is I really think, man, I really think the majority of people in leadership positions assume more than they activate. So they make those assumptions that you're alluding to because they're having the projection of assumption thrown at them as well. Well, Eddie knows what he's doing because Eddie was great at sales. And so he's going to be a great leader. Well, how do you know? that's the most simplest question that there is. What has Eddie done to show you? And not only that, but how have you prepared Eddie for this moment in time? It doesn't happen by evolution and happenstance. And what I love about talking to people like you who have such a vast military background is you talk about an industry of strategic planning and not leaving anything <laughs> to happenstance. And I think in the civilian world, that's one thing that we often lack is we're, we're not as good at strategically planning the development of others. And so when we talk about the, that presumption that presence equals capability, how can a leader in a situation fight against that syndrome? And begin to say, no, we're going to put into play systems of development that are going to strategically give opportunities 
for us to activate leadership, to activate people, because let's be honest, man, there may be people that have never thought about being a leader, that if they were activated, all of a sudden become some of the best leaders that you could be around. But that presumption will never get them there. And so how does someone really take a strategic approach to that, to really begin activating that strategic leadership? I believe, and you brought up a couple points that I think is really the thing that has to be flipped. And the fact that I may have figured it out doesn't mean that everybody who walks in my footsteps will also figure it out. So if you go back to my analogy about on the scale of one to 10 and other people aren't 10s. Well, if you think that, well, you look, I was in that position. I was good at sales. They put me in leadership position and I was good at leadership. And I had all of my background and everything I saw in A. I'm good. And I've been promoted up to the highest levels. Therefore, if I put, you know, Mitch in that position and he was good in sales, well, clearly, you know, he's like me. He's going to do well. And you may either forget. I mean, I told this to my daughter, you know, maybe seven or eight months ago. I actually told her about four or five years ago as well. Because she's 26 and she's doing very well. And I said, Jalen, you need to pay attention to what you're doing that is causing you to be successful. Mm. Because what happens is when you're 10 years from now and a 20-some asks you to for some advice and you just say, well, just work hard and do the best you can. That doesn't really help them. You have to be able to connect and relate to where they are. But if you don't recall what you were doing, the challenges you overcame, the networking, the work ethic, the balance, when you were 23, 25, 27, then when you're 40, you're going to, you, you, it's going to walk in the, it's going to be in the back of your mouth. Right. It's like when you'd raise your kids and you're talking to your kids about stuff that you did when you were 21, 22, and you realize how much you didn't know by how much they don't know. But that's only by once you get in a conversation. So if you're a young person who's emerging and you're a young leader, you can't assume that everybody's going to do and match the same way you did in match positions. So first, you have to have that out of your mind. And the challenge is you may, some companies may invest in the top 1% that they're going to be the best. And okay, I see you have the potential and you're going to be boom. You're going to escalate up to the highest levels. The problem is the other 90% of your leaders may not be identified in that top 1%, but they're critical, either middle managers, first line leaders, second line leaders that you need to be developed. So you have to make a holistic investment in first line leader development. And I think to what we're talking about, second line leader development. Mm -hmm. Because if you can teach your leaders how to be second line leaders, and sometimes that's once they become leaders Mm -hmm. or in grooming them as a first line leader, now you're making that holistic organizational sort of, okay, we just have a good leadership bandwidth because it's almost like languages. They say, once you learn how to speak like three languages, you can learn how to speak seven with no issue because your mind figures out how to categorize. Well, once you figure out how to do you know, second level leadership, and you're now developing leaders, and you're building a microculture in that instance, when you get further promoted, if you have the potential, you're going to carry those traits, those leadership development traits, and it will trickle down to those who work for you. To me, that's how you have to approach it. Well, then in in that approach, you give people opportunity. And, and I, you know, I see that, especially in government. Um, 
over the last 10 years, I've worked closely with various government agencies and they miss the opportunity to develop people because they're simply worried on bringing people along based on tenure. You know, you've been here 10 years, so we're going to move you into the next position. Or I've seen this multiple times. You've been in one position, but you've been with us for 15 years, but you didn't do a good job in that position. So we're going to promote you into a different position. And it's like, that makes no sense whatsoever. Different topic for a different day. But to your point about having that holistic approach is you give someone who on the surface, you may not think has the ability, but it's simply because they may not have been given the opportunity. And I love looking at athletics. You know, some of the greatest coaches athletically were the worst players Mm. or they didn't play at all. Yeah. But there's something within them that allows them to be a greater leader than they were a participant. And when we can think about those opportunities from that holistic approach, it's like, hey, I might have someone who's terrible at sales, but is actually a great trainer at sales. I may, I, in fact, I was talking to someone about six months ago. They were in a, they were a, a, a national leading salesperson for an insurance organization. They did so well in sales that this company came to them and said, hey, we need a regional manager. You're successful. We want to put you in that position. They totally bombed it because they weren't great at leading people. They were great at sales. Yeah. And so that holistic approach really gives you kind of a a, a 50,000 foot view perspective to where you can really take into consideration some of these people we've got misplaced and we're not giving them the opportunity to develop into what they could become. And so that's a real critical junction of developing leaders. I want to pivot a little bit and and kind of get a little bit personal because I want people to hear really your experience and your vast knowledge of leadership. And, and the question I have is, what's the greatest lesson that you have learned as a leader? And you alluded to some things with your daughter about helping her remember, remember these lessons, remember these experiences, because you're going to have to have kind of a footprint when someone else comes along. So for you and all of your years of leadership, what's the greatest lesson that you've learned in leading other humans? So I, I'm going to use two E's and, and this is obviously like, you know, we, I, lo- I love it when you use your, uh, you, so, so for all the listeners, Eddie is famous for using his simple to remember strategies and he's going with it here. The two E's let's go. So I want to go with, um, I'm going to go empathy and empowerment. Oh wow! And yeah. and empathy is a little bit. That may not be the best word, but I'm going to explain what I mean by empathy because it was a huge lesson I learned from a young leader to an older leader, mm-hmm. and that is empathy in this context is really investing in connecting with people, right? So you always talk about you know you, you, people have bad days and you want to yeah. feel for them, but to me. When I was a young leader, I struggled with really recognizing, let me give you a quick, uh, I struggled with recognizing whenever I was sort of just almost being aloof, right? Mm -hmm. I wasn't quite paying attention, creating conversations and connecting with people. And in the short term, that may get you what you want. Right. In the long term, is problematic. Yeah. So whenever I got advanced to a more senior position, I learned because I had some 
I mean, I'll tell you this real quick story, Mitch, and this is, this is a bad one, but uh, this is the reality. So I was in a pretty significant leadership position when I was young, like 20 something. And because of that, I had really a lot of authority um, that was you know, kind of given to me, but not explicitly mine. So I'm riding in the van with a uh, coworker of mine. And I asked her, I said, hey, um, what are people saying about me out there? And she looked at me, she had this look, Mitch, like, are you sure you want to know? I said, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm figuring I'm a nice guy. I'm doing, I'm doing. So she ran down a list of about 10 things and she ended with egotistical SOB. That was the last thing. I can't remember the other nine. They're a blur because they, I was just kind of overwhelmed by the time I got the number 10. And, and it was because I walked around and I was, I thought that the authority that was given to me meant that I didn't have to conversate. I didn't have to listen. I just need to direct. And because I had that authority, you needed to do. And what I found out was it doesn't work that way. Mm. And I was reading your book and you use several terms about, I think you had one story where you asked a person, you thanked them. Mm-hmm. And it was like, well, Mitch, I had to come into work. And you're like, no, you didn't have to, you know, it, you chose to. And that fast forward about eight years later, I was in a position where I was doing some pretty significant stuff because I worked in the Pentagon. Yeah. And that lesson from then really resonated. So guess what? I was, I was personal. I found out how they were doing. I genuinely listened. I created a relationship. And so then when I started needing things and people were talking about me and my reputation, it was just, you know, multiple uh, levels of success and interaction and responsiveness. So that's where I say empathy from a, you know, you need to invest time in interacting and learning about who you're working with. So that's my first E. And you can let me know whether that fits or not. My second E is empowerment. And you know, Mitch, I'm a huge empowerment person. Both of us are. And as a, particularly a multi-echelon leader, you have got to invest in empowerment. You've got to invest. And I always define empowerment as twofold. One is the process of transferring power. And then the other one is the actual transfer of power, sharing of power. And the process of transferring power is where you really make your money where you're educating and assisting and helping people understand what different levels of responsibility and accountability mean. It's the actual giving up or sharing a power that sometimes is problematic for people's ego, whatever. Well, I learned the benefit and the cultural impact and the motivation and the responsiveness and desire to support you even whenever they shouldn't because they're not working or they're on vacation, but they're like, Hey, because you asked, you know, I'm going to do it because we build up that relationship and they understand that they have responsibility and accountability that they need to meet and to, and it feeds into everything we're doing as an organization. So empathy and empowerment really are the two things that I believe I learned over my 27, 28 years. I was really hoping you would tell that story without me prodding it, because that's the first time I heard you tell that story. It's just one of my, in fact, to be honest, I've shared that story with a few other people because it's just, you know, it's, it's one thing for, for you to share your personal story, for me to share a story, but it's another thing to be like, Hey, here's someone else who learned the same thing through a similar, you know, cause I have multiple stories and, and I share a few of them in the book, kind of similar things that happen, you know, especially when you're a young age and you, you get those quote positions of power. I mean, it, 
it really feeds someone's arrogance and without really even knowing it. I mean, you can turn into a prick real quick and you don't even know what's happening. And so um, I want to go back to empowerment because you also shared your two points of empowerment that, I, that I've obviously heard before. And I absolutely love um, th- those thoughts of processing the transition of power and, and really, really encapsulating what empowerment looks like. When I deal with um, business owners, especially small business owners, one of the interesting things that I've seen over the years is there is a real issue with empowerment, or should I say lack thereof. And I see it more often with small business owners, because oftentimes they're the ones that have put in all the money, all the blood, sweat, and tears, or they're second or third generation. And so it's their family that's put in. And so for them to relinquish any control, even though you can prove to them with data and studies and experiments to show that if you'll actually let go, you'll be more successful, they still seem to have that struggle of hanging on and not truly living out that process of empowerment. And so my question for you would be, out of all of your decades of experience, what are two or three steps that you could give a listener who is that leader, small business owner who might be struggling with any empowerment and really letting go. They know, I think people know because they feel the stress and the frustration, but it's just now putting that into action. What are two or three steps that you think they could take to really begin practicing that art uh, of empowerment? Yeah. So first off, it's a mindset thing. And, you know, if you're a, if you're somebody who's in a position of authority, responsibility, leadership, there's two things you need to check yourself on. Uh, one trust. And number two is ego. Mm-hmm. So if you don't trust that someone else can do it, then invariably you're going to do it. I mean, you've probably seen that, you know, hand over fist, Mitch, we're talking about small business owners because you've been doing it. You know what the standard is. Therefore, I can't be certain you're not going to screw it up. And if you screw it up, then all of a sudden I got to deal with the consequences. And man, then all of a sudden you talk yourself into the worst case scenario. You're like, okay, I just won't do it. So trust becomes a huge issue. And then you become overwhelmed because the lack of trust prevents you from educating and transferring the power and ultimately giving somebody responsibility. And then trusting that even though they may do it, they may not do it the exact way you did it, you can still get the results. Right. So the first step is going to be you've got to relinquish the concern you have with distrusting other people with your baby. Right. Because it's almost like, you know, you, you, you so invested in it. You don't want to give anything up on it. The second part is ego and ego sometimes more of a problem than trust because <laughs> You know, you believe that, you know, it's that scale of one to 10. You believe you're a 10. Well, if I'm a 10, then I have to do it all. And I can't allow somebody else to come in and do it because I know they're not as good as me. They're not as experienced as me. They haven't been groomed and developed. They haven't put in the blood, sweat, and tears. So once you get a mindset that I'm going to learn how to trust and I'm not so full of myself that no one else can do what I do, the first step is going to be incrementally do it. You know, is mm. I wouldn't recommend jumping into the deep end and saying, okay, I'm going to give you all of this. What I recommend is you give something that you're comfortable letting go. 
Mm-hmm. And once you let that go, and then you have to be patient, you let it go and you let it flow for X amount of time, whether it's, you know, several cycles, which is, could be a couple months, a quarter, whatever, and keep an eye on it. This also helps you with the transfer process because now you're observing it, you're seeing how it's going, but you, you bite your tongue from intervening aggressively because you want to see how it plays out. So incremental, selective, you know, transfer of responsibility so that you can see how it feels and you can then build that trust up that you may not have. And once you do that one time, then you have to set in your mind, you're going to do it again over at a certain period of time. You can't say, okay, I'm gonna do that one time, I'm good. I'm never gonna do it again for five years. Okay, you're now gonna handle (laughs) this particular part and that's it. You gotta then say, okay, six months later, I'm gonna give something else, either to the same person or someone else. So now you're slowly, deliberately, incrementally giving up things that other people can do. You're observing it, you're monitoring it, and then you can start to feel comfortable doing it. Once you do that, then I thought, then you start, I believe, to change your your energy, mm-hmm. your mindset. And now you can look across the board at, are there other things you can do? Because until you do that, you start giving up things, you don't realize what you're not doing. You know, I was in a certain job right. when I was young where I thought I had to check everybody else's stuff. Well, the problem is no one was checking my stuff. So I got myself caught worried about everybody else's errors and issues. And I was screwing things up. And as, as a strategic thinker in a business, when you're focused on the little things, you can't worry about the next level of growth. So you got to be careful about limiting yourself unbeknownst to yourself by not empowering. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's the same adage. Um, the phrase I like to use is the $200 an hour employee doing $20 an hour work. Mm. And, and that's, that puts it into money terms, but that's exactly what you're saying. When you're worried so much about all the little things that could be delegated and should be, you're now doing $20 an hour work, but you're paying yourself $200 an hour and no one in their right mind would do that. Like that makes, that makes no sense. But I love, I love that, that trust and that ego. And so when someone begins stepping into that delegation phase, that empowerment phase, how do they actually, if it's new to them, okay, so we're dealing with the person who's getting past the trust issues, they're going to start relinquishing some of that responsibility. Um, they're stepping into the shallow water of it. How do they really begin to measure the people they're delegating with? Because first of all, I'm right with you. You can't do it all at once. It doesn't work. And besides that, you're going to freak your people out. You can't walk in the next day and be Jekyll and then the next day be Hyde. Like it just, it just doesn't work. So you're going to do it in a balanced approach, but you also have to have some measurement and accountability. So how does someone bring about measurement and accountability without leaning back into their control issues? Let's be honest. That's what it really is (laughs) because it's easy to almost turn the switch on accountability and measurement and use it as a control mechanism. And that's not at all what you're talking about. So how does someone, I think you use the phrase observe how does someone really set up systems of observation and measurement so that they can not only build success in other people, but really what that does for the leaders that builds trust within themselves that, oh, wow, my people actually can do this. If I let them, they can really step up. So what does that look like? Yeah. So some is based off the personality of the person and how, you know, some people, as you know, are more art people, some are more science. Yeah. You know, some people can get in the spreadsheets and look at the data and look at the numbers and they love that. Other people are like, oh, no, I can't get out. I'm a field person. I got to see. Right. I get a sense. 
So you need to know whether you're a feel person or whether you're an objective numbers person, let's say. Once you figure that out, then that is what you use. Mm. And, and if you're a feel person, I'll give you from both perspectives. If you're, I'm more of a, a numbers person. But if you're a feel person, then you have to determine comfort. Mm. Your comfort, client's comfort, or workforce comfort. And that's sort of your barometer initially is, okay, you have this. Are you comfortable? Now you have to get over the discomfort of, it, of them being new. And you're sort of seeing the energy of the system or process. Because, you know, if you're giving it, you have some sort of system or process. Otherwise, you yeah. can't transfer that. You know, I think you had in your book said, tell somebody, hey, I want you to do the, you know, set up the display for yes. a business. Yes. And yes. you came back and said, this is all jacked up. And you changed it changed all. Changed it you, all. <laughs> you didn't have any clarity when you told them what they do. So you have to have some sort of inclination of what your definition of right looks like. Right. And even if you haven't objectively written that you have a feel for that. And that's what you go off of. How are you getting more comfortable? Are your people getting comfortable? And that may be asking other people, you know, is he or she communicating? Are they giving you feedback? Are they guiding this where it should go? And so your observation in that instance is more, you know, touchy feeling. You know, I know a lot of people right. more like, look, you can't be touch feeling in business, but if that's the way you are, right. Hey, you need to develop into something more objective, particularly when it translates into money. But in that instance, you need to use those different ways to gauge. If it's on the other side, which tends to be fairly black and white is you're giving them goals that are very clearly stated that you want to see them achieve, whether it's, you know, efficiency, whether it is, you know, client development, whether it is, you know, producing a product at a certain rate, communication rates, mm -hmm. there are different things you can use that are very objective. And once, but you have to do two things in my view, Mitch, and it kind of goes to the story we gave. You need to let them know what that measure is because mm -hmm. you don't want them to hold, hold them accountable for something you haven't told them that's going to be measured. Right. So by, you, by the way, that's a recipe for disaster for anyone yeah. that doesn't know. <laughs> yeah. So, so you do that and then you let them navigate that space yeah. and you then once again, have patience observe. And then this is the tricky part on the backside. This goes back into transfer empowerment at a certain point in time, weeks or months, you then sit down and talk with them. <laughs> you, you actually express to them where you are satisfied, where you're dissatisfied, I would recommend you have them give their feedback. You know, some people say, look, I was a little bit overwhelmed based off of this. So I adjusted. This wasn't clear. Although you said it, I had to get their feedback first so you can find out where they're comfortable and uncomfortable. Then you come in next on behind that and say, I agree. I thought you did well in this. Here's what you can do to improve in this space. Now it's an educational conversation as opposed to you coming in saying, okay, I'm going to tell you what you did, how well you did or didn't do it. And you, now it's all of a sudden a defensive one. So you just change the tone and the energy level by having them express first. And then you come in and either reinforce, clarify, but more importantly, educate based off your measurements. I love that. And I want to take that a step further for anyone listening who is working with a team, you know, trying to figure all of this out. It's first of all, it's not easy. We're, we're, we're having these conversations. Like it's, uh, you wake up in the morning, like you put on your shoes and you put on your leadership super cape. It's, it's not that easy. There's a lot of trial and error in all of this. And I think, I think, first of all, if you're listening to this kind of wondering, be in the arena of trial and error, because it's the only way to really learn and to, and to grasp all of this. And second of all, 
I want to take this conversation a step further by saying one of the greatest ways you could begin developing others is to do exactly what Eddie just recommended and then ask that person at the end of that follow-up to go teach another team member what they just learned. And so now all of a sudden you're, transi- you're, you're, you're transitioning into another level of empowerment and you're giving them a little minute piece of the pie of authority. And if you really want to build a team of leaders, it can't just be you as the catalyst for development. It has to be everyone across the board. I, recently, I was, I was uh, consulting with a client that I currently have who's in the restaurant business and we were talking about, you know, they're really struggling with how to develop leaders within their organization. And I, one day we were talking, I said, it's as easy as this, man. When you teach a new teammate how to make one of the items on the menu, you immediately have them go teach someone else. And that begins that culture of development and expectation. And no one is settling because that little high school kid that you just taught to teach someone else is going to take pride in that. And they're going to take ownership in that. And we started off this conversation with where are we missing it? And I often think we're missing it in those small moments, those small moments of opportunity. And so take what Eddie just said and and add a little bit to it. And you will soon and quickly have a great opportunity to develop those leaders uh, in your organization. Eddie, I have one more question for you, and we're going to start wrapping it up here. Um, What in your mind, opinion, experience, from your perspective, what what do you think is the greatest characteristic of a great leader? What What do you think is the one thing that no matter what, they bring that to the table every single day? So I'm using an army term. Um, and then a sports term, you know, arguably. So I think it is a mission, you know, which we, mm-hmm. you know, we use the term in the army as far as, you know, you're given a task and you're achieving that task. Yeah. So I think it's a, a mission focus or a, a task centric uh, appreciation and a team based approach. Mm-hmm. And, and this is a fascinating one because I know, you know, like I said, I read your book. And you always have this discussion about process or people. And, you know, I've, I go into organizations and it's always a discussion about, are you more of a people person or a process person? And some people can say, hey, I'm a people person. And sometimes the, the issue with being one or the other is whichever one you are, the other one you're not, which, mm-hmm. as you know, you can't be that way. So you come in and say, I'm a people person, but then you have no investment in process and systems and it's all personality And it's all, we'll figure it out as we get there and we'll rally the team to get it done because we're going to accomplish the task or the mission, whatever you got to do. And then you get a process person comes in and say, what are y'all doing? You know, I used to ask the question, are we a mom and pop or are we like a corporate, like a Walmart? Because mom and pops work and there's no issue being a mom and pop. As long as, you know, cousins at the register and and dad's in the back and, and mom's running the books, that's fine. But understand the limitations of scale and the risk as far as redundancy and if you don't have systems and process in a mom and pop, you know, if cousin's gone for a couple of weeks because she's sick, all of a sudden the mom and pop start to have some serious stresses. Right, right. So you come in with a process and people are like, oh, process, you don't care about people. All you want to do is make sure our numbers are hitting, everybody's hitting their suspenses or the, the responsibility timelines they have, and you're not worried about people. 
But that's not necessarily true because process can optimize. Process gives clarity in what people need to do. Process allows you to get to alignment and what they need to do. And now you can focus on the people aspect, which is the development and the mentorship and the growth because they fit into a process. So people in process, and that's kind of what this mission and team talk about. It is the balance between you need to understand and respect both. You know, you can prioritize people, but you can't eschew process where you can be a heavy process person, but you know, you better be empathetic. You better seek, relate and bring in people and develop them. So to me, if you're coming in as a leader, particularly an organizational leader, then you need to recognize and respect process and the critical lifeblood of people that feeds and enables process and success within your organization. Yeah, I like to I like to think of it as your processes better empower your people because your people have to be able to work the process to build sustainable success. And uh, you know, I say the same thing about policies. Your policies and processes are only there to empower the people that you have. And if they're working against each other, then it never works. It just it just doesn't work because they're going to constantly be causing friction. And so Eddie, man, I could listen to you all day long, brother. I really could. Every time we meet up and every time we, we do an event together, I, I, I learn something new. Um, I love kind of sitting at your feet and listening to your wisdom and your knowledge. And, and seriously, I, you know, I'm not just telling you this to tell you, I really do um, enjoy our time together. And I, I have a, a, one more question. Tell us about the book. I actually have two more questions. Tell us about the book. We didn't go into that much because it's not directly about leadership, although it is about leadership. So tell the people about the book and where they can get it. And then also, um, where can people stay in contact with you? That'd be a, a great thing as well. Yeah, cool. So my book is about this title, Star Point. Parenting in the White House, White House is, you know, the White House is quote unquote. And it is about raising empowered young women through a father's eyes. Mm-hmm. And the the term the the White House is because obviously my last name is White. Some people think it's a political book. I tell people we use the term White House to describe the way our house functions. It's not a right. political book, it's a parenting book. And the empowerment piece, which, like you said, is really that's a leadership uh, mm-hmm. attribute or aspiration. And it's from my perspective. And so being a leader in the military for you know, 28 plus years, I was also a leader in my home for mm-hmm. you know, 26 plus years. And you're right. It is not a leadership book, but it is. Because yeah. whether people realize it or not, you're probably going to be in a position of leadership at some point in your life, either right. in your company, in your organization, or in your home. So if you don't invest in leadership and you don't invest as a you know, as a leader in developing younger leaders, then you're going to have cracks in the system. Yeah. So you can get my book on Amazon. You know, you can get it on my website, which is where you get in contact with me, you know, jedwardwhitejr.com. So, you know, it was funny. It's a quick side story. My first name is James. I'm a junior. There's so many Jameses in my family, Mitch, that I, they ran out when they got to me. You know, I had a cousin, I had an uncle, I had my dad. And so I got my middle name, Edward. I got Eddie. Yeah. And for yeah. years, always like, you know, Eddie, I'm not sure if I'm an Eddie or a James. James may be too formal. Eddie is maybe right. too informal. And I had people in my high school called me James and people who I grew up with in my neighborhood and my family called me Eddie. So anybody who knows me after roughly 19, 
I think 89 when I graduated from high school knows me as Eddie because I've always mm. introduced myself as Eddie. Yeah. But a fun, the funny side story to my pen name is when I was at college, I was telling the same story to a friend of mine's parents. And they said, well, you know, Eddie, you might want to go with Jay Edward. That would have been a nice name. Sort of not too far, but not, I said, that is awesome. But the problem is I've been, it's too late. I can't. So 25 years later, when I wrote my book, I went with Jay Edward White Jr. So I, I, that, that's my, that's my pen name, if you will. So you can look me up on the website with, with Jay Edward White Jr. Or you can go to Amazon and look at my book, Start Point Parenting in the White House. I love it. JEdwardWhiteJr.com. I love it, brother. I love it. Hey, Eddie, thank you. Uh, thank you so much for coming on, man. This this means the world to me. And um, and like I said before we started the conversation, I know you and I've got some we've got some more paths to cross in the future and it's going to be wonderful. So thank thank you for all the work you're doing. I know you're working with uh, with families and with clients and you're building uh, a really great consulting business and a few facets. And so um, listeners, reach out to Eddie. I know he's on LinkedIn as well, so you can find him there. But go to his website, jedwardwhitejr.com. I got tongue-tied there for a second. We'll have that in the show notes as well. Eddie, thank you for coming on the Mitch Gray Show, brother. We'll talk to you soon. Hang on the line, and you and I will finish up. Brothers and sisters, thank you for listening to the Mitch Gray Show. Once again, please go subscribe anywhere you listen to podcasts. Make sure you leave us a rating and a review. That just helps us get in the old Google search cycle and move us up the ladder so we can reach more people. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Mitch Gray Media, and you can find my book, How to Hire and Keep Great People, anywhere you buy books. And we also have our new curriculum out too, the How to Hire and Keep Great People course, so you can check it out as well. Make sure you invite a friend to listen to the show. And other than that, we hope you're doing well, and we will talk to you soon.